And welcome back to the podcast, everyone. CalSPRA, California School Public Relations Association. What is it and why should you get involved? That's what we're chatting about today. And we are pleased to be joined by Trinette Marquis-Hobbs, one of the greatest professionals in the field of communications. Trinette, how are you? Greatly appreciate you joining today. I'm pretty awesome. I love that intro music. I know, that sweet child of mine. You can't can't go wrong with little Guns N' Roses, right? Not at all. That was awesome. So, Trinette has more than 20 years of experience in communications. CalSPRA member, even a former president of CalSPRA, has worked with Fortune 500 companies to smaller nonprofits, everything in between. Now has her own business, teaches part-time at Sacramento State, and is even writing a book. What else do you, what do you not do? Um, I don't climb mountains yet. <laughs> That'll be on the to-do list. I'm sure it's up there with everything yeah. else, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, you make me sound really good. Thanks, Ryan. You are very welcome. You did that yourself. I uh, greatly appreciate <laughs> having such a communications pro like yourself on the podcast and especially about CalSPRA. It's one of the things, I, Daniel and I were talking trying to figure out how long I've been in CalSPR, probably six or seven years now, and it's really helped me in my career with school communications, making the transition from a journalist and figuring out how to navigate school PR and everything that needs to be done in the communications department of school districts. So it's been just such a great resource. We both got back from the annual conference this year in San Diego. So we'll start off with that, Trinette. What was your take on the conference this year, it was the largest one to date, which was super exciting to see. Kind of your overall thoughts on another great conference. Um, it was typical CalSPRA, which is to say um, fantastic people, really good information, um, nonstop packed with things to do and people to meet and sessions to go to. Um, CalSPRA never disappoints. Every single year, I mean, like you said, I've been in the business forever, and I do a lot of presentations, but I still learn something from my colleagues every single year that I go. I don't miss one. So there was probably about 200 people there, and then it was amazing when Nathan was doing the introduction of the conference, he asked how many are here for the first time, and there was probably 20 to 30 people there for the first time. And that was just okay. such a great sight to see. Did you was your takeaway that it was people new in the field, new positions, or more people learning about Calsper, or maybe a mix of both? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I mean, one of the things that I've been happy to see in California is that our school leaders have taken an interest in community engagement. Um, LCAP and LCSF are kind of an outgrowth of that and, you know, not entirely perfect ways of doing community engagement, but at least they're recognizing the importance of it and the importance of communication in schools. And so maybe now when people are saying, hey, I'd like some professional development, it's a lot easier to justify to the CBOs in the district if you say, look at this, I'm going to be better at telling our story. I'm going to be better at representing us at community forums, which we're required by law to do now. Yeah, I think that's a great point. The LCAP has really encouraged school districts and almost, you know, forced them to do even more community engagement mm -hmm. and get the community's input on, you know, how school districts are spending money and 
getting feedback and input and all that sort of stuff. So um, a lot of people that may not have communication roles within the, their districts before, maybe uh -huh. they've been doing more finance, ed services, are really getting involved because they know community outreach is really important. And as we know, everything is tied to the budget. So let me ask you about, you did a great um, kind of beginner track at CalSPRA. So what did what were your sessions and um, kind of what was your focus with the uh, kind of the newbie track? Well, um, when Nathan reached out to me about it, I kind of had to go back to one of my first CalSPRAs when Kelly Avance out of um, Columbus Unified was the person doing kind of the PR boot camp. And it set the stage for me as a professional. And I wanted to create a series that would do exactly the same thing for the newbies coming into the field or the people that are just finally getting the opportunity to invest in themselves. So um, we did um, the first session on, you know, I'm a data person, so how do we collect data about the work that we do and promote the work that we do? Um, how do we use data to target our efforts so that we're doing the most impactful stuff? Then the second session was on messaging and making sure that we're on point, um, that we're using the data to ensure impactful messages. And then the third one was on the stuff that people typically think of with school PR, which is doing the crisis work and the media relations. With data, it is very important mm -hmm. because our we it's become easier, I think, the past few years to justify communication positions within districts because there's so many issues we're all dealing with throughout the country and the state. And it's funny, I was at a different conference um, in Los Angeles, RTM Spring Education Conference, right after CalSPRA, and I was asked to do a, mm -hmm. kind of a couple roundtable discussions about school communication and why it's important. And it was it was great because it was an audience of non-communication folks, but had an interest in telling their stories. And so I kind of started going around and let's talk about some of the issues you're dealing with and why you're now interested in communications and why you should be. But the list is long and getting longer with declining enrollment all over the country. Everyone's dealing it with it because we have so much competition now with charter schools, magnets, home schools, <laughs> online schools. So if your communities don't know you exist and what you're doing, you know, how do you get students to enroll? Because there's never been more school choice out there than now. Teacher shortage, it was funny, we we're talking about the, the teacher shortage with this group in California, and everyone's like, uh, that's not just a California issue, that is, you know, throughout the country, they're dealing with it big time. Um, yeah. We all know about the funding issues um, in California and elsewhere, transparency, culture, um, branding, so the teacher recruitment and all that, there's so many important reasons to have communications people now. But with the data, that takes it to the next level as far as justifying what we're doing and measuring it, and is it working? So what are some of the ways that you use data to help with that issue? Well, one of the first things that I do um, if I'm working with a district is sort of insist that we do some research. Um, you know, they might contact me because they saw a cool video or they have a new program they want to launch. And they'll say, hey, tonight, can you come and do this flashy marketing thing? Um, and just fill in the blank there, you know, the variety of tools that we have at, at our fingertips now. Um, the first thing I want to do is say, what do you want to accomplish? 
you know, how are we going to know that we're successful? Um, what, what do we have to um, gain in terms of enrollment or perception gains or awareness gains? Um, so we do a survey that sets the baseline. And then we do the same sort of survey at the end of the campaign to measure where we are. Or maybe if it's something about enrollment gains, we don't have to do a survey. We can just go out there and figure out whether we added up the number of students walking in the door that we wanted. But the most important thing is that you're being mindful about what you're doing, um, that you are thinking through all of your tactics, that you have an audience in mind. A lot of times when you're new to the profession, you just think, I'm going to put this out here. You know, I'm just going to put a great message out there and it'll attract lots of people. But unless you're extremely targeted, um, people are bombarded with multi-million dollar um, campaigns that are extremely targeted these days. If you're not targeted as well, nobody's going to pay attention to what it is you're saying. I think that's a great point. And I think communications folks deal with this a lot. I know I deal with it in my district and others do. People have an issue. They want to get somebody to their event. They want to get the word out. And it's, let's, I have an idea. Let's create a video. (laughs) And so Mm -hmm. everyone's answer to everything nowadays. And this is a kind of a tricky situation because video does do so well. But Mm -hmm. you have to kind of really have a strategic plan before you just let me do a video because the ROI on doing video, people who don't do videos don't realize how long it takes to do a video. Um, Mm -hmm. So if 40 people are going to see your video and it's only going to go out on one platform and you're spending, you know, four days doing the video, it's not worth your time. But you're not Mm -hmm. going to come to that conclusion. You're going to waste four days of producing, shooting, writing, and all this um, if you don't really think through the process before you do it. Um, So I think getting that data and having a real targeted audience, as you said, and knowing what that is before you go into whatever communication plan is very important. So one of your other sessions was on uh, messaging. What uh, what was kind of the the overall gist of messaging that you that you got out to everybody? Well, it actually ties back to um, research. So a lot of times we have very clever people in communications. We go into that work because we're good with words, um, but you need to be a little bit humble about approaching a topic and communicating out. Go back to the audience. Um, I love qualitative research. Um, with regards to messaging because it's really helpful to look at the way that they frame the issue and the actual words that they're using in talking about the issue and try to mirror that, try to appeal directly to um, the concerns that they have, the fears that they have around the issue, or on the positive side, you know, the aspirations that they have, particularly around their children. That's usually a lot of the things that we're looking towards when we're trying to market a new program. So research can really help you make sure that your message is going to be impactful and it's going to resonate with your audience. If you don't use research, you might get lucky. You might have something that's just so universally clever um, that people love it. But again, don't think that, you know, hits or likes or follows mean impact. Um, You've got to make sure that you're following the right data, which is, is it a change in behavior? Are you getting people signed up for the program? Have they changed their opinion of your school district or your school? 
you're getting a little bit deeper. So what's an example of one or two ways that you would do some research or measurements of those sort of messages? Sure. Um, focus groups are one of my favorites, and they don't have to be um, super formal. In fact, um, you could just invite some key people of your target audience to come in, um, provide some childcare, uh, provide some food, and sit around and talk with them about the issue and try not to lead them too much, ask a lot of open-ended questions, and then make sure you're recording it so you're tracking everything that they're saying. One of my favorite examples is actually when I was working in um, public health field, and we were trying to run a campaign around healthy eating, and one of the things that we wanted people to do was to cut some of the fat in their diet by choosing low-fat milk. And we were finding that we weren't hitting with that message. And we thought it was like such an easy thing to ask. So why wasn't this message getting through? And we sat down with some folks and they said, well, I'm not, I don't want to choose the low fat milk because of the labeling on the milk bottles when they see them in the store, one says low fat and one says vitamin D. Well, I want my kids to get the vitamin D. Mm. It's like, oh, it didn't even occur to us that the store labeling would have an impact and that we needed to address that in the messages that we were sending out. That's fascinating. Yeah, it really is. You learn all kinds of nuggets like that if you just sit down and talk with people. I guess the key there is you don't know until you ask. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then one of the, probably the most important things and an issue that's not going away in school communications or any field anytime soon, your last session was on crisis communications and dealing with that. What do you think the most important thing somebody needs to keep in mind when dealing with so many sensitive issues now? Um, a lot of school shooting talk and people are having to message about school safety, school walkouts, and it's just, um, it's such a, not an easy area to communicate and navigate. What is kind of your advice for people when stepping into this field for the first time? Well, I think it's really important to take a long-term approach to the decisions that you're making in a crisis situation and to make sure that you don't get caught defending bad behavior or bad policy. Um, and that is one of the things that I just cringe in when I see some district responses to different situations. Um, I think especially when you're new, you can get caught up in responding to um, the leadership in a district and doing things that make them happy. Um, you might get caught up in doing something reactionary. For example, uh, one of your stakeholder groups is behaving badly and you want to kind of hit back at them. Maybe it's even subtly and through messaging, but you want to, quote, win the argument, if you will. Mm -hmm. And instead, I encourage people to kind of step back and remember that you want to develop good long-term relationships with all of your stakeholder groups. And in our work, we um, sometimes encounter people when they're not at their best. So give people a little grace and think of the long-term interests of your district, not your superintendent, not your board, um, probably not anybody that gets a paycheck from the district, but the long-term interests of the students and the community because that's who's going to stay supporting that district in the years and decades to come. How do you navigate that when you're talking to superintendents and board members, when you're having to go through one of these tough communication issues and mm -hmm. there's different opinions it, on how to go forward with it? 
it's super tough. I know that what I'm encouraging people to do, it's hard. It's not something that I was able to do when I first went into the business. I was a little bit older than some of these folks because I moved over from tech and healthcare. Um, so I had a little bit more confidence, if you will, at, at um, objecting if I was in the room and I heard something. Um, I think it's really important that communicators have a foot in both worlds, that you're part of the decision-making team of the district, that you're also not so far removed from community voices. So making sure that you're making time to do the things that are important to the community groups and listening to what you hear there, not necessarily just going and representing the district and being the you know extroverted, charming representative, but going there humbly and listening to the voices that you hear and the concerns that you hear and bringing that back to the decision makers. Um, it is not easy work. Um, but school communications can be incredibly impactful. I mean, it's a position that can have an enormous amount of influence because you do get brought into the decision-making room, hopefully before a decision has been made, but sometimes after a bad decision has been made and you have the ability to shape what's going to happen as a result. Even if something bad has happened, even if a district hasn't um, acted in, you know, the best way possible. Communicators can still make sure that the district is responsive to the community and that their reaction doesn't do further damage. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Your point on being a part of the decision-making process as a communication professional I think is key. I'm super lucky Mm -hmm. here. Day one when I got here in Arcadia, you know, I was a part of cabinet. I was a part of, you know, when these tough decisions made, I was brought in before they were made and to play the important role of devil's advocate. So I would say, you know, keep in mind that if we go this way, you're going to get this question asked from a reporter and here's the question. Can you answer it? Okay, you can answer that. Here's the follow-up. Can we answer that? So I'm so glad to see that your beginner track was filled with new people in the field. But my next thing that I'm pushing for is when I talk to some new folks in the field is that you need to bang on the door of that cabinet meeting and get in there because you you may have a disagreement with what the message is but at least you can understand the process and then even if you disagree um, you all leave the room on the same page and go forward together but if you're not in the mm-hmm. room and if you're a superintendent or an admin listening you really need the communications person a part of the room that will help you navigate things and you don't need to agree on everything, but they will help you prepare for what is going to come when you go down this way. Like this is a good tact, um, I'm for it, but here's what we need to expect when we do this. And hopefully leaders are strong enough to let people play devil's advocate. I do it all the time and I, I remind them, I'm just, hey, I'm just, I'm not arguing with you. I'm just playing devil's advocate. We need to think about this. But I think you're right. If, if those district leaders are willing to bring the communications folks in the room, play devil's advocate, you get way much more out of your crisis communications. You get way more viewpoints. And I think your preparedness level goes to new heights. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, and one of the things that you can use to um, help break down that door into cabinet um, is to really show them some data 
on the impact that communications has with um, superintendent tenure. I think in California, the average is about three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the reason that a lot of superintendents lose their job, it has very much to do with their ability to communicate and engage. And so, um, you know, not to be crass, uh, it's important for superintendents to understand the asset that they have in their district if they're willing to bring it in and listen to what the communications person has to say. You're right. One of the things when you see a superintendent or somebody gets removed and, yeah, the life the lifespan of a superintendent is not very long. Yeah, I think I saw something. You nailed it three years, um, and then they move on or something happens. Um, but it it is that transparency. We didn't know what's going on. We weren't told this or that. It, so it all comes back to communication in nine out of ten cases. Um I know here if we ever had an assistant superintendent leave and they went to a district without a communications person, I think that would be like number one, two, and three on their list. Our, our jobs, you know, if, you know, what's, what's your job as a school PR person in essence? My job is to make my district look great, my superintendent look amazing, and our board great. I mean, that's what it, you know, that's, and the rest are just details. I mean, that's what it comes down to. and. It's fascinating that more school districts don't have more communications people telling their stories and the amazing things that are that are going on in their schools. So I'm with you 100% on that. Great. Um, so that we just talked about three of your beginner sessions, um, and there were so many other sessions. It's three full days. Um, if you want to find mm-hmm. find out more about the most recent conference in San Diego, CalSPRA 2018, the hashtag on Twitter and social media. They had networking events, they had a boat cruise, they have dinners, lunches, and stuff. So besides the sitting down and getting these focus workshops, you can really meet other communications professionals who are all dealing with the same issues as you and talk to them and be able to really have a great network of resources. So CalSPR, I was telling this people at this other conference, Trinette, it's only $148 to join for an individual. The institutional membership, we can have three people on it, it's only $248. CalSPR is a nonprofit, so they're just covering their cost to help people. But the biggest benefit besides the conference, and we're doing more regional conferences too, we had one in LA last year, a little mini conference where we all got together, probably doing another one is the listserv. Can you tell us about the listserv and the benefits of basically the email list to everyone you get to collaborate with? Well, the listserv is amazing. Um, It can be a lifeline, like you have some kind of urgent situation come up, whether it be media or crisis related, and you put something out there on the listserv and it's closed. It's only CalSPR members, so you know you know, nobody's going to go talking to everybody else about what you're asking. And you just say, oh, my gosh, I just got a call from the media about this issue. Has anybody else been talking about this? And within 20 minutes, you might get two, three, four responses. Yep, we dealt with that last year. Or, yep, we got the same call. And then you can kind of um, collaborate together on what your response is going to be. The second thing the listserv does is it shares it allows you to share so many resources. Um, my take on it is that taxpayers have already paid for a lot of the things that school communications pros 
um, put together. So there's no reason why we shouldn't share them very generously. And CalSPR members do just that. Um, there's no reason to start from scratch or recreate the wheel on a brochure, annual report, a newsletter, um, an e-news blast. Um, I guarantee you if it's something that you're thinking about doing, somebody in CalSPR has already done it at one point or another and they're willing to send you the source file so that you can save you know, countless hours in doing it yourself. It's a fantastic resource. The listserv is worth its weight in gold and then some. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. And I told people at the other conference, I did a kind of a poll about who has communications professionals in their school districts, and it was probably about half, which I kind of think is the general consensus. About half the school districts have communications folks. But I told them, look, if you don't have a communications person, you should be spending $148 to get a Calspera membership and get on the listserv okay. because you will save yourself so much time, energy, and resources. And as you said, the templates and resources people are willing to share and do share because they've been there, done that, saves you so much time and energy. Um, okay. It's just such a value. And if you never go to a conference or anything, the fact that you can, within 10 seconds, write an email and get, um, you know, five, six, seven responses about this major crisis that just hit you is beyond valuable. So if anything, I would recommend folks, especially without communications people, to definitely look into Calspera. Go to calspera.org, join, and then start getting those great resources today. So speaking of big conferences, I have never been... And I am super excited to go to Enspra, which is in our own backyard here in California this year. It's in Anaheim. That's the National School Public Relations Association. Huge conference in Anaheim. Starts July 16th, goes through the 18th. But there's pre-sessions on the 14th and 15th. Trinette, you are a veteran of Enspra. What can we expect from that conference? Um, ENSPRA is fantastic. Um, it is really kind of like CalSPRA times four or five because you're hearing from people all over the country. Um, and they, I think they have at any given time a choice of between three and five different kinds of sessions that you could be attending. They have um, superintendent tracks. They have family and community, community engagement tracks. They have um, different icons on the sessions. So if you're someone who is new to the field, there's some specifically for that, mid-level specifically for that, and more advanced specifically for that. Strategic and tactical sessions are identified separately. Um, they really do an amazing job of giving folks so many different options. Um, and, you know, I know I said this with Casper as well, but I started going to Enspra um, 11 years ago, and at that time I was working for a district that paid for my trip there, and I've continued to go every year because, um, one, the professional development that I've just talked about, two, the people. Um, there are people that I have met that have become lifelong friends, um, that they are the people I will call in the middle of a crisis and say, you know, what do I need to do here? I just need another set of eyes to look at this, or I just need to bounce some ideas off of you. Um, and then the third thing is um, kind of just going someplace where everybody knows what you do, 
and being able to relax a little bit. Um, school PR pros are involved in some of the most intense work um, that's out there because we're dealing with the most precious resource out there, children. And people get passionate about that. And so all the issues you mentioned earlier, um, you know, school PR pros are right in the middle of it. And when you go to something like a CalSPR or an NSCRA, you can kind of breathe a little bit deeper and relax a little bit. You can, you know, talk with people who know exactly what you do. Um, and I leave feeling incredibly refreshed every time. You sent to the listserv after Calspra just a great reflection on the importance of going to the conference and what it meant to you and how you were inspired from it once again. And you just talked about it with Enspra. You get to talk to people who know what you're dealing with. A lot of times, communications departments in schools, they're one or two people, and you're kind of the outside person that hasn't come through the ranks in education. Can you talk about kind of that message you sent back out, and you mentioned it with Enspra about just the the feeling of support you get from a, attending one of these and just the inspiration you felt after CalSPRO this year? Sure. So the first year that I went was right before a huge downturn in the California economy. So I think um, in 2007 I went and it was wonderful, um, but I knew that my district wasn't going to be able to afford it, or that's what I thought before I went. Um, and when I came back, as I recall, I think I had 14 pages of handwritten notes, you know, from my you know, my college rules binder. And I sat down and I just pulled them into three different categories. So one category was, um, what are the things that I can do right now? That I ideas that I heard against for that I'm going to implement right now and that aren't going to cost very much at all. Category B were you know things that I am going to retool over the summer or over the upcoming break and that I'm going to launch the next fall. And then category three were you know inspirational things like when I grow up as a PR professional or as a district practice, I want us to be doing these kinds of things. In the next three to five years, I want us to be here. And then with each of those ideas, I tied it back to the district strategic initiatives and also how it's going to benefit students and staff. And then I scheduled a meeting with my superintendent and said, this is all the stuff that I got out of the conference. And not only that, but I am so much more engaged with my work and so much more excited about the work that I do. And I have this whole group of people that I can turn to and lean on if we need it. And after that meeting, he said, I'm going to have to send you every year because it's amazing what you come back with and um, the resources I brought back to my district in terms of ideas and tools, um, it's really priceless. That's such a great idea that you had and that you did to kind of, once again, justify what your role is within a district and great advice for new people is, and we're all dealing with budgets, especially in communications departments, they're, they're pretty small. So to go back and sit down, get a half hour with your superintendent, get an hour, go over the stuff you learned immediately and the things, I love your plan of this is what I can do today, tomorrow, this week, the next few months, and then, you know, year bigger projects and just really get that strategic plan. And then also, you know, you're sharing all these ideas and strategies of what you're going to do and with your superintendent. And then, you know, they're forced to realize the value in it and send you back every year. That's just, that's just such a great idea, Trinette. 
you know, it comes from a place of being really cheap. <laughs> so I'm always, I'm always really aware of the money um, that we were spending on different things. And I, I really felt like, you know, what we were spending to send me was a lot. And so it needed to matter. It needed to bring back an incredible amount of value for students and staff. And I'm sure you did exactly that. So before we wrap up, we talk about your book. What do you think one or two of the toughest, most important issues we're facing as communication professionals in schools and school districts now? We, as you mentioned, we kind of talked about so many of the issues, but what do you think the next year or two will be big points of emphasis for us in school PR? Um, well, I think one of the things that is top of mind for obvious reasons is that we've got a culture problem. Um, we have some kids who are feeling incredibly disconnected, and we've got to figure out how to make sure that they feel included and make sure that some mental health needs are met. Um, I think that there are a lot of schools I feel like a lot of people are looking at um, trauma-informed schools and um, adverse childhood experiences and really changing what classrooms look like. And I think um, the next step is also making sure that all of our staff are getting that kind of training um, from the uh, woman that works in the cafeteria and the custodians um, up to the cabinet level and making sure that we're treating each other well as well. I love how you phrase that because school safety is on everyone's brain right now and it's such a tough topic to tackle and it's not a you know schools aren't going to do it alone local police aren't going to do it alone government can't do it alone it's really a community state and national issue that we all really have to come together and solve but connectedness equals success for students there's no doubt about it you're a data person you know that so i think our roles as communications people is we can really help students get connected and feel connected through sharing our stories with your open houses at your school districts the high schools doing stories on those and letting your community your parents and kids know about all the different clubs they can join all the sports teams the arts the drama let them know they're out there that's half the battle because if kids don't know these groups aren't there how can they join them if they're not joining them how can they be connected to school so us as schools and districts sharing those stories about what our schools offer is so important because if a kid realizes holy cow the high school has a photography club they have a young democrats club i didn't know about that and then they become connected they have a passion that they didn't realize they they have they unleash that and then that really helps that child become connected their success rate goes up with grades and all that um, and you're less worried about them doing other things that you know a bored teenager that doesn't really care about school is doing. So the connectedness and sharing those stories and informing our parents and students of those opportunities, I think, is a huge responsibility and an opportunity for school PR pros to do that we can really have an impact on that issue, um, getting that information out there. 
Yeah, I think that's well said, Ryan, the way that you've tied it to the communication professional because I think a lot of times when you're new to the field, you think your role is to um, just do whatever it is that the superintendent tells you is their priority and kind of stay in your lane. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the most important things is it's realizing that your lane is the entire school community, keeping people connected and engaged, and realizing that there are a lot of things that you do as a school PR pro that can make that happen. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, we, you can tie everything we do as far as sharing your district story and your school story to, to so many things, declining enrollment, you want to get kids there, but... Um, letting them know the opportunities of your own schools and schools are traditionally terrible at telling their own stories if they don't have somebody there that's a full-time job and it's not a a knock on schools it's just who has the time to do it you know if you're a superintendent Mm -hmm. I I was talking to a superintendent from Texas and we're he has a huge communication staff they're a large district but we were talking about crisis communications and I was we were pondering how in the world would a superintendent manage what he has to manage in a crisis and do the communications aspect as well when he's talking to the board he's getting phone calls left and right but then he then somewhere he's going to find the time to sit down write a statement contact the media take all these media calls like who does that and how would you even begin to manage that um even on a go ahead Trinette. Well, I was going to say, and it's even increased substantially the time period that you have to respond to a crisis. When I first started in school PR in 2007, we didn't have um, so much social media um, influence in schools. And so now where you might have had, you know, half a day to kind of get your act together, figure out what you were doing and what you were going to say, now you don't have that same time period because you have people that are willing to put um, guesses and misinformation out um, in order to just attract followers and get um, their name out there. And so you're dealing with a whole set of influences that weren't there even 10 years ago. That is such a great point that I thought about a while ago. And I'm glad you brought that back up because if you look at school shootings and how they're covered now, like you said, the you know five ten years ago, it would take the media a few days to start digesting. Then the questions would come out. There are kids still in the hospital, and the questions about who to blame for this are happening 20 minutes after it happened. And school officials, superintendents, board members are sitting up there going. We don't even know the condition of our students, and you want to find out, you want a, a list of every safety procedure we've done in the past 10 years, and where was this? Per- it's like, oh my goodness, the speed of crisis communications, Trinette, as you said, has quadrupled in the past five years, and social media has not helped with that because as much as I love social media, there's the downside, these rumors that get out there and the misinformation. So now you're not only dealing with the traditional media, but you need somebody just to check social media and correct any inaccuracies that are being spread and shared and retweeted. Um, So the speed factor is incredible with having to respond to crisis communications. What are you seeing that... um, 
I, I remember a, a recent meeting with our local fire people. They now have a second person added to their EOC team just for scanning social media. Yeah, um, there was a fantastic um, session at Kelspra that had a lot of the PIOs that were dealing with wildfires in the past year. And um, that's one of the things that they brought up, that they had to expand their crisis response team to have someone who was exclusively looking through social media um, and posting on social media for them because the positive thing about social media is you can get the word out very quickly. Um, and the other thing that was such a gem from that conference um, was that one of the folks um, said that she got asked by one of her family, um, why is it that this um, website or group can put something up on Facebook 20 minutes before the school district does? What takes you so long? And she said, you know, you're right. There are others who are willing to post something whether or not that they know that it's true. It does take us a little extra time because we confirm everything. And so you know if you hear it from us, that it is in fact true. Exactly. That was a great session, and that's a <clears throat> great plug for my previous podcast because I recorded that session, and it's on this. Okay. Um, so if you're listening to this podcast, um, we're in iTunes as well, or on my blog. Um, we have that full session. That was Beth Burke, Elizabeth Emmett, Jamie Hansen, Sienna Wagner, and Music Watson that did a fantastic panel discussion and presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, entitled when disaster strikes lesson learned from the 2017 wildfires and it talks all about crisis communications and dealing with when you know you can plan all you want Trinette, as you know but and you could have the greatest plan in the world but you're still going to have people on the media saying i don't know what's going on i didn't get the message and uh all this stuff so even the most prepared districts um you learn something you go through something you didn't expect and so having all that material and as much as you can done before it happens and knowing your systems is so important. Um, so I'm glad you mentioned that session because we do have that on podcast that people can listen to. And the ladies were just amazing, giving their insights, what they learned, and um, kind of you know getting getting that word out there was, was super cool. Before we I would add um, one, other, one other thing with crisis is have those relationships in place. Don't make the first time that you meet your local police chief a crisis situation or your local fire chief. Make sure that you're building up that trust and relationship between all of your local agencies so that you have that in place before a crisis hits. Absolutely. Have those numbers, phone numbers, who they are, who their backup is, um, a lot of a lot of small towns, there's not really a PIO for the city or not really a PIO for the police and fire. But so, you know, call them and, you know, hey, chief, who should I call in case something happens? And hopefully he'll say maybe me or here's here's our watch commander to call. That's great advice, Trinette, about knowing who those key players are, because when it happens, you start scrambling. You're not going to have time to look up those numbers and figure out who those people are. Anything else we should get to wrapping up Calspra? And Spra, before we talk about this amazing project you've taken on about writing a book? You know, I, the only thing I will say is um, I think sometimes school PR people don't understand how impactful they are and how amazing the work that they do is. Um, this is one of my messages to the folks that attended my sessions. I've worked in PR and tech, I've worked in PR and public health and healthcare. 
And I remember thinking when I was going into school PR here in Alaska that, that <laughs> I was going to do it for more work-life balance. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is and, funny. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's intense work, and um, these people are very sophisticated, top of the field, um, and I, I don't think they should be underestimated just because they work with schools and students. Absolutely. And since switching, I was a journalist before getting into school public relations, and I loved journalism for years. But the, I just feel the work is so rewarding, and I have opportunity to work with students, too, through an internship program. And um, when, whenever uh, you're kind of in the rut of things, just going to a school site, an elementary school or a middle school or even the high school, and just interacting with the students and seeing kind of the impact you have and what your work is for is so refreshing and inspiring. Um, so I think that's a great message and a great reminder. So with all your experience, Trinette, you've decided to compile this into a book. That is amazing. How did that come to be, and when can we expect the book to come out? Um, it is amazing. I'm really excited to finally do it because it's been on my list. Um, when I went and got my APR, my Accreditation in Public Relations, um, you go through a pretty rigorous process of documenting a campaign um, that you implemented and the four-step process that you used, um, that is the four-step PR process. And when I went through that, I became really kind of obsessed with the research and evaluation, really the data pieces in that four-step process. And that turned into a series of presentations that I've been making at both Casper and Inspra and kind of an online course um, that I've started developing and haven't quite launched yet. And then um, I was at Inspra and um, talking to some friends there and um, Kristen McGetty at, out in Kansas wrote a book on social media, which I highly recommend. It's social media for school PR folks. And um, I just kind of asked her, like, that's amazing, you wrote a book, how did you do that? And she made me feel like it was something I could absolutely do. And um, the book is going to be out this June, late June is when it's expected. It's called Engaged Data, Smart Strategies for School Communication. That's amazing. Congratulations with that, Turnette. That's so, Thanks. so cool. So how can people find you? Is there a website? How can we connect with you? Yeah, I do have a website. I'm at um, schoolprpro.com. Very cool. I can't believe I got that website, but I do have it. <laughs> that is a pretty nice little uh, username there. Right. So and I'm also on Twitter uh, at Trinette Marquis. Amazing. Trinette Marquis Hobbs, thank you so much. And thank you for your willingness throughout the years to go and present at CalSPRA, answer on the listserv, and helping mentor everybody, uh, myself included, with your knowledge and what you've done and just your willingness to share with people. And that, that's the great thing about this field is I feel like school communication folks are so willing to share and help other districts, help public education as a whole. So the advocacy part of it is fantastic. And you've done such an amazing job with that and willingness to share all your years of knowledge and experience. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Oh, thanks, Ryan, and um, thank you for spreading the word. This podcast is amazing. I can't wait to you know, dig into it a little deeper. 
Absolutely. So we'll give a few reminders before we go. Ensper Conference is in Anaheim. It starts July 14th, 15th. Trinette will be doing some sessions there, and it runs through the 18th. Also in Arcadia, every year we do the Arcadia Innovation Summit. This year it's June 22nd. It's absolutely free. This year our keynote will be Max Ventilla. Um, so it's a lot of educators, teachers, administrators, but I'll be do, doing two sessions on communications. One is just kind of sharing your school district story, and then another one about uh, creating our internship program that we did. So we have a bunch of interns helping us with our work, sharing our story, taking photos and videos. So if anyone in the Southern California area is interested in that, ArcadiaInnovationSummit.com. And uh, Trinette, we appreciate your time. We will see you at Enspra in July. And thanks so much again. We appreciate all the great work. Great. Thanks, Ryan. I'll see you soon. Thanks, Trinette.